come with a pile of ones or a pile of twenty, whatever you got. Pile of hundreds, I don't care. Just come to, to bless them. And, and so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before he brings us the word. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you and we love you. We thank you for Brother Jason's willingness to be able to come down here and drive so far to just impart to us knowledge and, and wisdom and teachings in, in your perfect word. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us tongue tonight in the words that, that we need to hear. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be opened to receive your word, Lord. I pray that if we have a cold heart, Lord, that you would warm that up, that it would be able to receive, just like you did with Lydia. Yeah. Lord, forgive us where we fall short and where we fail you. Lord, we are thankful that you died for our sins, that you left your home in glory for us. As the song said, you would do it all again, but you don't have to because your blood was sufficient once. Amen. And so, Lord, tonight we are thankful. We give praise and we rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, Lord. Amen. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you hit the button? Yeah, I did. Okay. It's already done. I seen it I seen it counting down, or at least I thought it did. I'm just going to make sure. Does it stay lit up? Uh, no. Has it got a little red thing when it's recording? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So hit the red button and it'll stop it. Okay. You're on. I am on. I botched it yesterday, so I forgot to hit the button, had the mic plugged into the wrong hole, and it was uh, just a whole catastrophe, so... Uh, hey, we appreciate, me and my wife appreciate the hospitality that you guys have shown us. Uh, we thank Brother Dickey for uh, his hospitality and all of you guys just for allowing us to come and, and be a part of, of y'all's body. And, you know, I've, I felt a real just kinship between a, a lot of you guys. And just, it's, it's Christ in you. You know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the amazing thing is, is that we can go anywhere in the world and when there's brothers and sisters that are gathered together and when y'all meet, there's just something about that kinship and that bond, right? And uh, I am so grateful for you guys. And Matthew's like, come with a bundle of ones. You can come with a bundle of nothing and I don't care. Uh, y'all's fellowship is good enough and uh, we just we we come here because we're excited about the gospel we're excited about the word and I know what the word does in me when we are um, in it and that's what our desire is to basically to impart to you some uh, truths on how to uh, help better understand the Bible help put some tools in your hand and just a little bit of a recap from last night. Can anybody tell me what CIA stands for? C. What's it stand for? Just shout it out. Comprehension. I. Interpretation. A. CIA. Comprehension, interpretation, application. Comprehension answers the question of what does this uh, passage say? And uh, interpretation, what does this passage mean? It answers that question. And application is how should this word change me and we should have that view in mind when we read the scriptures at all times 
Pat, uh, Matthew, he, he read my text this, uh, this evening, and so I, uh, I'm not going to read it again all the way through from uh, beginning and end. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to try to comprehend, uh, interpret, and apply to our lives tonight. And, and that's really the objective in it, isn't it? And that's the objective of reading the Bible. It's because we want to know who God is. We want to know Him. And not just to know Him in a sense of intellectual knowing, but it should change our behavior. It should change how we live and how we think and how we act. You know, the great passage in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, and 11, if you, yeah, everybody says, for by grace you have been saved. And not, it's, it's, it's not of works. So that no man should boast. And then verse 11 says, you are, uh, you are a, hang on a minute. I'm going to botch it. My mind has just went completely backwards. But hang on a minute. I'm not going to botch it. I'm going to turn to it. It says, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Listen to this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works. God saves us so that we will have good works, that we will be lights in a dark world. We were created in the image of God. From the very beginning of time, we were created in the image of God. When Adam and Eve fell, all man had fallen and subsequent to that. And right now, as a result of that, when Christ came to save us, he saved us not only from our sins, but he, He's continuing saving us in a sort of speak in sanctification, letting us become more and more like Christ. It's the idea of reason why we read the Scripture. So let's get, let, let me not uh, go and chase this bunny rabbit, but let's get started in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start in the first two verses here. And this is the greeting. And it's something that is common throughout all of his letters. He greets the people. And I had kind of put a heading on this as uh, servants or slaves, saints, and shepherds and deacons and salutations. I had one D. I couldn't think of a S word for a deacon other than servant. But if you read the text, it might get a little bit confusing. But anyway, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the first thing that I know is that Paul and Timothy, he says, we are servants of Christ Jesus. Now, this Greek word here is not the uh, servant in the sense of what it uses for the word of deacon, it is a different word. And the ESV and all the translations translate it pretty much as servant, but the literal meaning of the word servant there is slave. And the reason why that they've done that was because in North America, there is a stigmatism with the word slave. And the reason why there is is because of the brutality of slavery in North America and in that time period. And so whenever we think of slavery, we think of hard labor and beating people. I mean, these fields here were plumb full of slaves at one time, right? And to be honest with you, it really wasn't all that long ago. But anyway, this is not the sense in the word that that Paul is ascribing to here. He says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. 
And you might ask yourself, why does he call himself a slave? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen to this. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We see that he says in Titus 2.14, he says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all of our lawlessness and purify us, uh, for us himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The Apostle Paul looked upon his own life as God had bought him and redeemed him. And so he owed his life of service to him. And Deuteronomy uh, 15, verses 16 through 17, you know, uh, back in Israel's day when uh, Slave, if he was getting ready to be released, but he loved his master. He loved the man who he worked for. He would, the, here, here's the scripture in Deuteronomy 15, 16 and 17. It says, but if he, the slave, says to you, I will not go from you because he loves you and your household. Since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awe and put it through his uh, ear into the door and he shall be your slave forever. Paul here is not saying, well, I'm bought and now he's forced into servanthood as a slave. Paul is saying that, you know what, I joyfully, I joyfully am a slave of Christ. And my dear friend, I'm going to tell you, if you're here and you have been bought and paid for, I think I've seen John MacArthur said, if you're in Christ, you are a slave of Christ. Because God has bought you and joyfully, not kickingly and unwillingly, but joyfully you want to serve him for the rest of your life. I find it interesting that he uses this and and some of these, um, and this is common to what he says in his other letters. And also he, he greets the saints in Christ Jesus. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. I find that Interesting. How many of you guys here consider yourself a saint? You got any show show of hands? How many of y'all feel like a saint today? You know, whenever I think of sainthood, I think of perfection, right? And and we do too. And I think probably one of the very first teachings that the Apostle Paul had was about that we are saints in Christ Jesus, that we are set apart. The word saint means set apart or holy. It's, it's one of the oldest words that there is. And the priest back in Exodus, when God, they had made all the, the uh, utensils for the tabernacle, what did they do? They consecrated it, right? And, to, and basically what that means, they set these things apart for holy use. They wasn't meant to be used for the ordinary, like the the bread of presence and the candlesticks and all of those things. They were divided for God's holy use. And Paul here is saying, you know what? You are saints in Christ Jesus. God has set you apart for His own use. What a beautiful picture. I mean, have you ever thought about yourself in that way? Hey, I'm a saint. I've been set apart by God. It reminds me of, of the uh, parable in Luke. Um, the prodigal son, you know, he ran away. 
and he ran away and spent all of his father's inheritance and then he comes back and when he comes back, what does his daddy do? He throws the robe on him and he says, kill the fatted calf and he throwed that robe on him and I'm just imagining this and his older brother was really mad that he threw this robe on him and part of me just wonders after he threw that robe and after he come home if he said, you know, if he was tempted to go back out and live that same lifestyle, and if he looked down at that robe on him and said, you know what, I've been set apart by my dad. I can't get this thing dirty. I think that whenever we think about, we have been set apart from God, set apart for His own good use. It should affect the way that we live and act and where we, what we do. It should affect our, how we react to when someone maybe treats us badly. We're set apart saints in Christ Jesus. And then we see this next little phrase. He says, to all the saints. And I want, to just, I want you all to make a mental note of this. It says, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. This right here would be called to, refer to, theologians would call it, uh, our union in Christ. Our union in Christ means that we have been united in Christ. That we are united in Him and, and by His, that union that we have with Christ, it sets us apart from all the others. If you remember last night, and I meant to get here last night, and it's the reason why Brother Matthew looked back over to John, the 15th chapter, and I had him to read it. And it kind of explains, I'm not going to go over the whole thing, it kind of explains the union of Christ. And I think that as the Apostle Paul, as he was probably, when he founded this church, I would imagine this would probably be the first thing that he would teach on. That how our uniting with Him, how it changed us and how it set us apart from everything else because this is where all of life hinges on. John 15 says, I am the vine, the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch uh, that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Do y'all realize that? That we can't bear fruit. You can't be saints if you don't abide in the vine. If you're not connected into Jesus, there's no way that we could uh, uh, be fruitful. There's no way that we could be, uh, have love, joy, peace, patience, happiness, goodness, meekness, all of the fruits of the Spirit. There's no way that we could have the fruits. And he says here, he says, uh, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. It's that union. It's that union that Paul is talking about. Those saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And then here is something very, the next little phrase. Something that's very unique to the book of Philippians that is only true of the book of Philippians. Paul didn't address anybody else in any other letter in this way. 
He didn't address any other church. He says, he says this, with the overseers and the deacons. With the overseers and the deacons. And I call them the shepherds and the servants. This word deacons is deaconus is the Greek word, which means servants. It, and at this time, y'all are going through the book of Acts right now, right? And have you got to the section where they appointed deacons yet? Already passed it. You know, this word deacon is... Ain't got there yet. Well, this, by, this, by, this time right, uh, by this time right here, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, it really wasn't an official title in the church of, of deacons. They didn't know it. They, they just needed somebody to help serve, and so they, they would serve the tables. But by this time in Christian history, it had became an official role in the church with the bishops and the overseers. You had, you had the overseers, the bishops, or whatever you want to call them, or the, the shepherds. It was those who led the flock, those who preached and ministered. And then they set apart people, deacons, to minister to the needs of the people. So here the Apostle Paul is uh, addressing the overseers, the teachers, and also the deacons or the servants. And I find it interesting the reason why... Uh, I find it interesting if you start to read through this letter, you might gain some understanding. It's basically, uh, what did I tell you one of the main things was of the book of Philippians? He had care for the people. He cared for them. He loved them. And he had some concerns. He had some concerns about disunity. He had some concerns about selfish ambition. He had some concerns about false doctrine creeping into the sides of the church. That was prevalent in their day. He was concerned about the circumcision party in chapter 3. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for these people. And so he was concerned. And so he's addressing these deacons and overseers saying, hey, watch out over this flock. You can sense the love and the tone of Paul and the book of Philippians, how he adored and how he cherished the Philippian people. One of the things I find interesting is this, is that how many of y'all, I mean, just, just be honest, some people are easier to get along with, right? Don't, don't y'all find that? I mean, there's some people that's easier to get along with. Some people you just have a connection with and you relate well together. It might be because you have like mind interests or whatever it may be. But Paul had a real unique connection with the Philippian people. More so than any of the other ones. I mean, uh, you know, we was talking about Galatians today, Brother Matt. It was kind of a rough tone, wasn't it? And if you read 1 Corinthians, you know, it, it's a rough tone too. He says, hey, do I need to come with a rod again? You remember? And wacky with a stick. And so, I mean, but this letter here, it's, it's, it's a very lovely letter. And he loves them and he's concerned. And he's concerned about... Uh, them in many different ways. And so we can see that in this. And I think that's the reason why he addresses the overseers or the teachers and the deacons because he's concerned. And then we see here in this next little phrase, this salutation. And it's a common salutation. You read a lot of your New Testament literature and you will see this and uh, you will see it in almost every one of Paul's letters. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And whenever he says grace to you, I believe that he means that whenever he says grace to you and peace from God our Father, what is grace? It's unmerited favor, right? And I believe that this is really what he is getting at. There's a general sense of grace that was kind of common in that day, but we know here because he says grace and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so so he's saying, I'm praying that God's grace will be to you, his unmerited favor, that you would have God's and the Lord Jesus Christ's grace, his unmerited favor. And then he says, and peace. And you know, grace always comes before peace. You know? Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. And so we know, we see here that this, this he's just doing a common uh, greeting, but he's saying, I'm praying that God's grace and peace will be to you and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look down here. This next section right here is the thanksgiving and prayer. It's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the beginning of the letter. And he's just sharing what he feels about them and sharing what he thinks. And, and really, we're going to cl- go from verses 3 to 11. And we're going to do it at about 100 mile an hour. And so we're going to go pretty quick. And it's not going to be as long as last night, but it is good. It is good. I want y'all to look at this. He says, I want you to, verses 3 and 4. He says this. He says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. I want y'all to just see the affections. Is he happy? He's happy. He's joyful. He says, the first thing he says, he says, I thank my God. I thank Jesus. I thank God the Father and all of my remembrance for you. In other words, every time I think about you, I smile and I'm so grateful. You know? I mean, is there spiritual people in your life that whenever you think about them, that just brings a smile to your face? You know, I met a Christian. I met a Christian some 26, 27 years ago, met him one time in my life. His name was, I'll never forget his name. His name was Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Kind of, it's a familiar name, ain't it? Reminds you, does that remind y'all of anybody? It's the reason why I can remember his name. Reminds you of a baseball player, right? But his name was Reggie Jackson. He was a, he had, he was, he was a uh, African American brother and He, at the time, I was a young man, and he was a vacuum cleaner salesman. He sold Kirby's. And anyway, we had a a trailer, and whenever I was like 18 years old, 19 years old, however old I was at the time, I was selling rainbow vacuum cleaners. And this man come by, and he's like, hey, can we sell you a vacuum cleaner? And whenever, I was like... Well, you can come by and try anyway. I sell rainbows. He said, oh, good. I'd love to do a demonstration at your house. And I was like, all right. And so I invited him in, and Sharon was like two doors down at her neighbor's house, and I just left him in there. I was like, I'm going to go get my wife. And I was like, honey, we're going, this guy's up here is going to sell a vacuum cleaner. He's trying to. Let's go look at it. She said, where's he at? I said, he's in the house. She said, what are you doing? Anyway, we went in, and, man, he told me about Jesus. I was a lost man. 
He told me about the Lord. And I want you, want you to know that the radiant glory of Christ permeated this man. That night, whenever I left and whenever that man left, I knew that I had been in the presence of somebody that had been with God. Oh, he told me about Jesus and just the loveliness of Christ. And whenever we didn't buy a vacuum cleaner, I was ready to buy that vacuum cleaner. My wife said, we ain't got $2,000 to spend on a Kirby vacuum cleaner. Are you nuts? I was like, oh, but I want one. She goes, you know, she's like, just hold your cool. But anyway, every time I think about that man, it brings thankful feelings in my heart. I met the man one time. It was a spiritual marker in my life. And the, I imagine the Apostle Paul, whenever he's thinking about these people and as he's remembering him, he's remembering everything that happened. He remembered Lydia and the slave girl. He probably remembered the Philippian jail and, and the chains shaking loose. And it wasn't just that time that he's seen. He had passed through uh, several times. He spent a considerable amount of time with these people. I imagine he remembered sitting around the table, praising and praying to God Almighty and seeing how God was just changing people. And every time that he thought of them, he just loved them. Oh, I pray that we would be that people. I pray that we, when we would step in, that we would just change the way people think about us and they would just smile and love and they would, it would just change them because of who we are. They see Christ in us because we're so kind and so loving. This is what Paul seen in the Philippian church. And he loved them. He says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you and, and every prayer with you, making my prayer with joy. And then listen here. He gives the causality. He says, because... Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They partnered with him. Not only did they, they I mean, they supported him. When we know that, uh, that later on you'll see is this, is that they supported him. As, as a matter of fact, after the first three people, the first families that we see there in the book of Acts... The book in the book of Acts where Paul had come and he witnessed to and the foundation of the Philippian church was founded whenever he left. Guess who it was that supported him to go to the next town? It was this little bitty Philippian church and they supported him to go to Thessalonica. And they supported him. And then here in this letter, if you've read through it last night, this little church, they sent this man by the name of Ephroditus. And they sent him on a journey to support the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. He was living in Rome at a rented house and he had to pay for it himself and he had a guard. He had no way of making money. And you know what? This little bitty small church there in Philippi sent this man by the name of Ephroditus 800 and some miles away to go meet the needs of the Apostle Paul. Think about it. In that day, he traveled 800 and some miles across the ocean 
across harsh lands. As a matter of fact, you see in the end of the book here that the man almost died. He risked his life for the sake of Christ to support the Apostle Paul. And here he is, 800 and some miles away, partnered with him in the gospel because they believed in the gospel. Why do you think that they believed it so strong? It's because it, they were changed. They were changed people. Don't y'all find this beautiful? Don't you find it just beautiful to, to just see the, the, the emotion and how the, the love and the tenderness? And then I want y'all to, this is a well-known verse. We're going to go on. And this is still the Thanksgiving. And he says, and I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You remember yesterday, I was telling you that sometimes when we come to Scripture, we have blinders on. And we look at Scripture and we only look at it in the way that we always see it. And we kind of, we, like that horse, you know, we can only see what we've only ever seen before. And we got those glasses, we got those lenses that, that changes our view because we've heard it so much or in our familiarity with the Scripture, it, it just, it blocks everything. I want y'all to know that I tried my very best to read this text with a, a new light without the blinders on to see if I could see anything. And you know, the first thing that you see, and everybody sees it, and I know that you probably see it, and he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. We all see that. We all know that salvation is of who? God. God is the one that does the work. He's the one that saves. It's the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of sovereignty. And we can see that he who began a good work in you, this, this sovereign God is at work. And he's working in us. And, you know, this is the only thing that I could ever see. And as I began to meditate upon this passage, I began to realize it says that not only did he begin that good work, but it also, he also brought it to completion. He's going to bring it to completion. And I got to thinking about that, being complete. And God is sovereign. In other words, in his will, he's always uh, sovereign. His, nobody can thwart his plans, his will, his providential will. And the Apostle Paul says, it is the sovereign plan of God that you will be sanctified, that you will be made complete. And whenever I begin to think about that, I begin to think about the other attributes of God, the doctrine of God, of who God is. And oftentimes our view of God is, is this, is that we bring him down to be like us. But God is holy and he's nothing like us. He far exceeds anything that we could ever think. And our God is here. I see his enemy. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, having, I'm getting tongue tied. I drank too much coffee. He's immutable. In other words, he's unchangeable. I mean, he's constant. He never changes in his plans for you. If he has planned to sanctify you, it is immutable. It's, un I mean, it's unchanging. It's concrete. Amen. Oh, what a beautiful thing. 
How many of y'all know, brothers and sisters, and that, that might have gone astray? I want you to know that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. If God had saved you, he's going to complete you. Oh, what beautiful news this must have been for the Philippians. That God is going to bring me to make me complete at the day of Christ. It's talking about, you know, we're going to be made perfect and whole. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be resurrected like Christ. And everything that it means... You know, there's a fact that there's a part of us that means that we are saved, but there's another part that says that we're going to be saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be future tense. You know, God is going to save us completely. And there's me and Matthew was talking about this at the day of Christ. There's going to be a day where there's no more sin and no more temptation. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, I'm looking forward. I'm a wretched man. From Kentucky. I'm a wretched man that still needs a lot of saving. I get upset. And whenever I think about this passage, it brings me hope that someday God is going to set everything right. And when He comes back to His children, that we're going to be made whole. And I'm going to be made with, be there with Christ. And all of His glory. And the Apostle Paul says... To the Philippians, he who began a good work in you. Oh, I thank my God for you and every remembrance of mine and my joy. But he began a good work in you. We'll bring it to completion. Oh, he will bring it to completion, my dear friend. What say you? Are you downtrodden? Oh, just think of this joy of how God's sanctification for you is going to be complete. This is, if God has changed you and started a work, He will bring it to completion. What a beautiful thought. And it can sustain us. You know what? I believe this right here is the reason why the Apostle Paul, we'll get into this tomorrow a little bit. Um, I think uh, tomorrow morning, I can't really uh, remember, but he says, uh, to live is to Christ and die is gain. And he's thinking about these things and his I mean he he knows that he's going to be brought to completion we see in chapter 3 he talks about that him being transformed you know he's longing and longing to be with Christ and striving good news and then we see here in verse 7 he says it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Why is he right to feel this way? And I find this interesting. He says, because, he's telling the causality of why it's right for me to feel this. He says, because I hold you in my heart. Because you are all partakers with me of grace. They're partakers of him in grace. They share that common grace. And then it says, he says, they share in the grace, sharing grace both in my, what? Imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Both in my imprisonment. And this is, this is uh, quite interesting. 
is this. What does, it, what does it mean that they shared with him in his imprisonment? I think if you go back to chapter 4 and you look, and they had sent Ephroditus. Because you know what? Paul was in need. He, he had needs. He couldn't make a living for himself. You look back at the end of the book of Acts, it says that, you know, he was preaching and teaching freely and boldly uh, without hindrance at his own expense. And so they met his need. And so they was sharing in his imprisonment in the way that they provided. They met for his physical needs. They loved the Apostle Paul. Not only did Paul love them, but they loved Paul. Loved him dearly. You know, as as I said, just that young man that I met years ago, but not only that, my first pastor that I had, I loved the man dearly. And I would have done anything for him. If he needed a place to stay, he needed money, I would have done that. And this this is that. They shared in that grace. I think they shared in the grace that God gives, but also they shared in the grace of imprisonment. And both, not only that, but it says here in verse seven, uh, 7, it says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They believed in the, the gospel message and shared and partnered with Him in this grace and this love. And you see this family letter. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness. And see, we, we'll see this again. He says, How I yearn, how I yearn with you with all the, uh, for God is my witness, for I will, how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. How I yearn with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, uh, whenever I think of yearning, and it's a, uh, it's an eagerness. It's something that you want, you yearn for, you long for it. And if you was to ask old JW, that's what some people call me, JW, what is it that you yearn for right now? I got two grandbabies there in El Paso, and buddy, I yearn. I told my wife, I said, when we leave here, we might go to El Paso. She's like, can't do it yet. Got to wait. But I yearn and long. And we see with, he says, I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ. And he says, and it is my prayer, verse 9. Listen, and now here we're starting to get into the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And he says, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You know, the greatest two commands is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like, is like, is to love your neighbor, right? These are the two greatest commands, and we, we know the great love chapter, you know, 1 Corinthians. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. 
and if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. The Apostle Paul here, he talks about love, but he talks about love that is accompanied with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment. I I find that interesting. How many of y'all find that interesting? And you might say, well, what does he mean? And I don't think that he's just talking about a love that is sentimental, gushy, ooey, gooey love, but it is a love with knowledge and thoughtfulness. The word knowledge here in the Greek, it refers to advanced spiritual knowledge. It only applies to uh, spiritual things to the knowledge of God, to religious knowledge, to spiritual knowledge, and to doctrinal knowledge. It is a knowledge that comes to the Christian through a study of God's Word. I found that interesting. And that's the only way that this Word is used is, is in that. So this is a knowledge that's not based upon just emotional ugu. It's a... Love that is based upon knowledge. There's a famous quote that I like to quote to you. It was by a lady. Her name is Jen Wilkin. And one of her famous quotes is this, is that the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And I think it's a very uh, fitting, fitting quote. And I believe... Um, so whenever the Apostle Paul, it's not just an ishy-gishy, gushy-gushy love. It's a, it's a love that is based upon knowledge and facts. And so, and then he says, with knowledge and all discernment. In other words, knowledge and insight. And then he says the reason why he does that. Uh, discernment is, is knowing how to apply knowledge, right? Insight. And he says, so that you may approve, this word approve, or so that you may test or prove what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So what is it that the Apostle Paul is praying for? He's really praying for their sanctification, isn't he? He's praying for them to be conformed into the image of Christ, that their love would grow, not just out of being sentimental or having a gushy-gushy love, but a love that is based upon knowledge and insight and See, I, 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 I'm sorry, Matt, Matthew. I, my mind just kind of went went off track. I probably shouldn't have used itchy gushy love. Should I? Or gushy gushy love? That's probably not the correct theological term. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have used that. Gushy, gushy. I, I was thinking like a little kid. Gushy, gushy, goo. You know, um, but that 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 type of love. But it's it's based upon knowledge and the knowledge of God's word and the study of God's word and being able to discern insight. He says to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so the 
idea here is that Paul said this, is that, you know, I'm praying for your sanctification. We already seen that he's doing that. I'm sure that God is working in you. But, you know, there's a part of sanctification that God is working in and we're working out. We can't just go to the scriptures and say this and say, you know what? Oh, he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. And then you can just go out. Well, he ain't doing it today. That's not what he means. And this is kind of the other side of that coin of where you're working out what God works in. With all knowledge and all discernment. So that you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is the second time that he's mentioned the day of Christ. Don't you find that interesting? He mentioned it there in verse 6, that God will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And then he says that you might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of what? Christ. And so I find that very interesting. He's praying for our sanctification. Our sanctification is basically so that... I'm trying to think of an example uh, of what that might look like. I think that that might look like, you know, God tells us to, to love and to love our neighbor. And that means that, you know what, you remember in the scripture what the one man said, well, who's what? Who's my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? And, you know, he was wanting exceptions with that. But the reality is our neighbor is everybody. It's not just the person that lives next to us, but it's even also our enemies. Jesus says that we should pray for our enemies and love our enemies. And the reason why he tells them that is because, you know what, we're to love our, we're to love our neighbor. We see Paul exercise this over and over in his life that he loves. And to be pure and blameless is this. Is, you ever heard the expression like, just kill him with kindness, kill him with love? And really, and when we, we, we love people, it speaks volumes, you know? And that we can be pure and blameless. And we're not doing it out of a motive of from ourselves. We're doing it out of a motive because we love Christ and we want to be set apart that we'll be pure and blameless for Christ. And then he said, that, listen to verse 11. He said, filled with so that we can approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen to this. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled full with the fruit of righteousness. Filled full with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. And sometimes when we think about uh, filled with fruit, we might be thinking about Galatians. Love, joy, peace. And I think certainly that is the case. But right here it says the, the fruit of righteousness. And the fruit of righteousness is... What does righteous mean? It means it's somebody who is in right standing with God. They walk right. They talk right. And guess what else they do? They do right. It's about they're doing right. You're going to be filled full of righteous living. This is what studying of the Word of God should produce in us. It should produce in us a knowledge and discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. It's us working out what God has already worked in us. He's going to bring it apart, uh, bring it about. You remember John 
5, uh, uh, John 15, 5, what I quoted earlier, that, you know, I am the vine, you are the branch. You know, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, the part of this is that God has worked in and enabled us, empowered us, and we can live righteous and holy lives, set apart, sanctified. And this is what the Apostle Paul is praying for this Philippian church. He's praying that for God, that he says God brought this thing to work. And then he's also saying that I'm praying that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Dear friend, I pray that your prayer is, is as every time that you go to the Bible, is that you would meet with King Jesus and that He would change your heart, that you would be set apart, a saint, that you would seek to be pure and blameless, filled full of righteousness for the day of Christ. Got that picture of, to me, whenever I think about this passage, and this prayer and this thanksgiving of the Apostle Paul has me, it reminds me of a bride getting ready to get ready for the groom. You know, on that wedding day. And on the wedding day, what is it that we always see that they do? They get their hair done, right? Get their makeup done. They look pretty. They're dolled up. They got the, they got the, they got the rags on, you know, the, the dress and the big long train and and I can remember my wedding like it was yesterday. And they opened up the door and I seen my wife with, with her dad. And I thought, man, I'm married way up. Beautiful and gorgeous. Oh, may we adorn ourselves for the groom. And be pure and blameless. And get ourselves ready for the day of Christ. I pray that this is your prayer every time that you come to the Word. If you would, please bow with me. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You change us. You mold us. You shape us. Oh, Father, I pray that You would strengthen us, that we would reflect Your glory. God, we know that The Westminster Catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Oh, Father, I pray that this would be our prayer, that we would glorify you, bring you glory through fruits of righteousness and enjoy you forever. Thank you, dear Jesus, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, before, before we sing, I just want to make a mention real quick. Uh, if you look in the book, the day she's named out.